The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabatakni, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And one ran, filling a sponge full of vinegar, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that he thus breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the door of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone was rolled back, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. The Gospel of the Lord. I was struck by many things last night taking this, uh, this beautiful gospel passage as we look at the most profound moment of the gospels, the moment which should echo very deeply into our souls, this moment of the death of Christ as we come to his death, but then also as this gospel also includes the early morning movements of the resurrection. And so what we see here is a process, if you will, a moving into darkness, but then also a coming into light. And so all of this begins, it says, in the sixth hour, there was a darkness over the whole earth until the ninth hour. And then we know it will go into the night, but it'll then at the end of the gospel come out into the morning and into light. It shows us a process of what the Lord is doing suffering and dying for us, but for the purpose of that morning resurrection, so that if we die with him, we can also be raised with him into eternity. And that dying to him is what we can look at today, especially as we pray for the souls of the faithful departed, the souls who especially now stand in need of that further purification and sanctification 
They died in the grace of God, but were not yet made perfect. And no one can enter heaven until we are made saints, until we are perfected, until all of the roots of sin have been pulled from our hearts, we cannot stand before God and see him face to face. And so the souls in purgatory rejoice to be there. They suffer, but they have the sure knowledge that they will one day be with God in, hev in heaven. They know that they will see him face to face, and they willingly choose the suffering that they endure in purgatory so that their soul will be cleansed of all of the things that are displeasing to God. I found it then very helpful. I went back to look at some of the notes I had from when I read through uh, Dante's Divine Comedy. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's such profound poetry. Every time I go back, I end up at different moments, either uh, weeping or rejoicing, or it's just the way in which he can communicate these beautiful and profound truths of the sanctification, most especially in Purgatorio. I always found that very, very profound and moving. The sanctification and the process by which God purifies the soul. And so then what I was doing is looking again at each of those moments on that mountain of purgatory and then bringing it back to the gospel. And so if you'll permit me, I'll just kind of move off of the gospel a little bit to Dante, and then we can come back and see uh, these elements in what Christ has done, the way in which he has endured all of these things so that he can become and he is the source of our sanctification. And so just briefly, in Dante's uh, Purgatorio, it's the ascent of this mountain Then he is being led by Virgil, the great poet. And slowly Virgil is leading him from step by step as they climb the mountain and are slowly purified of sin. That is what he is looking at in the souls that are suffering on the mountain. And at the beginning of that mountain, all the souls have seven Ps for the sins that are uh, within the soul. They have them engraved on their forehead. And as they ascend the mountain, slowly those are removed until all of the effects of sin are taken from them. And obviously, it's, it's, it's poetic imagery. It's not exactly what's going to happen, <laughs> but it's helpful. It's helpful, still all the same, where we can think about these things, and then we can begin, even in this life now, to become sanctified, to reduce that time that our soul might need in purgatory. We can do that now. We can enter into that sanctification now. And so the very first stage is the sin of pride, the sin of pride. And when Dante sees all the souls, they're all weighed down by these huge boulders on their shoulders. They carry these boulders that weigh them down and bring their heads, if you will, back down to earth. And the pride is taken out of their soul. But with every suffering, on every level of purgatory, the opposing virtue is always proposed and given to the souls so that they can contemplate this virtue. And by contemplating the virtue, the vice is uprooted from the soul. And the first example given at every level of the mountain is always Our Lady. It's always Mary. And so for those who are prideful, those who have exalted themselves above others, there is this, uh, been this carving that has been carved in the side of the mountain. It says, by the hand of God himself, which is Our Lady in this posture of receiving the incarnation and the message from Gabriel. And it says that impressed upon this posture, it's a very beautiful words, all that poetic words of Dante. It says, impressed upon this posture of Our Lady, as wax receives the seal, are the words, behold the handmaid of the Lord. 
Her humility before God is what the souls who are prideful have to contemplate. And then it moves on to the next level of purgatory, which is envy, and it's very closely tied to pride. And the envious, their suffering is that their eyes have been closed, they've been sewn shut, because in this life what they used to do is look around at the spiritual good of others and they would weep for other people's good. If anyone else received good spiritual gifts, they would weep. And so they had the wrong response because of that envy that was in their hearts. And so the image that is given to those who were envious, they can hear that there's a message that's cried out above them, which is from the wedding feast of Cana. And it is, they have no wine. It is Our Lady's request to God, caring not for her own self, not being sorrowful at other people's goods, but actually being what they call, which is the virtue, it's the virtue of being, uh, having solicitude for the good of others actually going and seeking that others may receive good. And then it moves on to the next, which is wrath and anger. And those souls are also blinded, but their eyes are not so sewn shut. They are just surrounded by this thick, dark smoke. And it represents what happens when a soul becomes angry. It loses the capacity to see and to reason. And so what they do is they suffer in this thick smoke in which they cannot see, but they have to learn to listen. And we know that from when people are angry, we say that they cannot hear reason, right? They cannot hear reason. And so these souls have their ears opened so that they can receive the word. And because they cannot see anything, Dante is given a vision. And the remedy for this vice is again Our Lady, but it's Mary in the temple. And it's when she finds Jesus after having anxiously sought him for three days, and any normal parent would have lost their mind when they found their child, right? But Our Lady, it's, he sees her standing in the doorway, meekly and peacefully asking Christ the question, why have you done this to us? And so she again has control completely of her anger and all of the passions in her interior, her most pure soul. And then it moves uh, from wrath and anger, which is an excess of passion, to sloth, which is a deficit. It, it lacks passion. Sloth, the, in, the unwillingness to do what should be done, especially in the spiritual life. And these souls, their suffering is that they're running around. They're now called to move and to move quickly. And the virtue that is given to the souls who have been slothful, that they can contemplate, it says that while they run, they weep for their slothfulness, but they also shout, Mary ran into the hill country with haste. Mary ran into the hill country with haste. They contemplate the beautiful example of Mary as she is the opposite of what it is to be slothful, that when there is a need, she rushes to that need. She rushes in order to do the good that she should do. And then after the slothful comes avarice, greed, the accumulation of earthly goods. And so to the avarice, it's interesting, is that they, it said, what Dante says, he says it's the worst suffering on all of that mountain. And it sounds strange because what happens, their suffering is that they lie flat on their stomachs with their noses and their eyes into the dust because the things that they have sought in this life that they have tried to accumulate are just earthly things, dust, things that are passing. And so they're unable to look towards heaven 
They must look at that thing which they have desired all their life, which is simply dust, all of these earthly things. And the opposing virtue given to them is Our Lady in the cave of Bethlehem. In all of her poverty and this detachment from earthly things, she has her son and she lays him, as it says, her sacred burden in the cave of Bethlehem. And then you have gluttony, which is, again, just the excessive, uh, the excessive giving in to the taste and to the food and to things of the nourishment for the body, but in a disordered way. And that can be by excess, eating too much, but it can also be by particularity, becoming overly particular with the things that we eat. And the example given to those souls is also again Our Lady. And it is especially again at, wedding, at the wedding feast of Cana, where she is not concerned for her own reception of food and drink, but for others. They have no wine. And then it moves up to the last, which is the level of lust, the sins of the flesh. And the example given to these souls as they burn, as they are in a certain sense on fire, as this passion is quenched within them, the example given is again Our Lady. And she says, I have not known man. And so you have this wonderful example, and that's very helpful because if we struggle with any of the particular uh, vices, any of the particular deadly sins, even in their root form, it might manifest itself in other ways in our life. One of the things that we can do is what the souls do in purgatory. Contemplate these virtues in the life of Christ and in the souls that we see in the Gospels because these are living words. They are able to communicate to us the virtues that we need to rid our souls of these vices. And all of these examples are seen in what we see of Christ on the cross. He also, in his humility, goes to his passion and overcomes pride. He is not envious of anyone else's spiritual good. He is the cause of spiritual good. He goes to his passion to overcome envy. He goes to his passion in order that he might obtain spiritual good for others. He also is not wrathful. Some of the saints say that in his passion, his mercy triumphs over his wrath because at any moment he could have stopped his passion. But his mercy carries him through to the end. And then also you have, uh, as they move then into slothfulness, the Lord here is doing what must be done. He always rushes like his mother. He is the example for his mother and the cause of his mother's grace. He rushes to his passion. He rushes to do what must be done for the sake of souls. He is also not avaricious and he overcomes greed because everything that he has is stripped from him, all of his earthly, if you will, goods. He is left with nothing, not even his clothing. He overcomes gluttony as he makes this request of his thirst and he is given vinegar. He gives us the grace to overcome this kind of trying to satisfy uh, simply the earthly taste. And he overcomes all the sins of the flesh and lust in everything that he suffers and endures in his flesh. And so we can come to this passion and look upon the Lord and receive the graces we need, not only for our own sanctification, but especially today as we bring before him all the souls of purgatory. And we pray that they also will be quickly sanctified. One last point that is very beautiful is that whenever a soul is freed from purgatory, what Dante says happens is that the whole mountain shakes with joy. 
and all of the souls of the mountain, they stop in their sufferings for one moment and they all say glory to God in the highest. And so as we pray today, especially in this mass, for the souls that are still in purgatory and through this mass with its infinite value, as some souls will be released from purgatory today because of our prayers, we join with those souls in saying glory to God in the highest. Amen.